Thank you for tuning in to hear the news from the field this week, October 13th, 2023. The EATS Act is losing momentum among United States federal representatives and senators. The EATS Act, which stands for End Agricultural Trade Suppression, was originally introduced in response to California's Proposition 12. More specifically, it was introduced after the Supreme Court upheld the Californian people's mandate, thus allowing Proposition 12 to move forward. What are we talking about? In brief, Proposition 12 puts restrictions on meat and poultry products sold within the state of California regarding husbandry. Primarily, the space requirements for confined animals like pigs, egg-laying chickens, and veal calves. Well, why should a Virginian hog producer care about what the Californians are doing? Well, while they only maintain 1% of the United States pork breeding stock, Californians consume nearly 15% of the U.S. pork product. These restrictions, which are likely going to cost producers and growers a collective $300 million in facility improvements, to some feels like an assault on the pork industry. Critics of Proposition 12 point out that these restrictions will cost Californian families more money at the grocery store, thus increasing food insecurities. Additionally, non-Californian pork producers, many of which are small family farms, are not going to be able to comply to these changes, putting them at risk of being outcompeted by the cash flush corporations like Smithfield that can pivot to support the Californian market. The EATS Act seeks to limit the autonomy of individual states and their self-interested regulation of trade, and hands that power to the oversight of the federal government. As you can imagine, such an act is not without controversy. Critics of the EATS Act say that it's a Pandora's box. The law is too vague and would likely take years to understand how to fully comply. It also eliminates existing safeguards and inspection protocols that prevent plant and animal diseases from crossing over state lines. It also opens up room for civil suits that would more than likely cost states and counties tens of millions of dollars in legal fees and ultimately seeks to protect the small rural farm and community by giving more power to the federal government. At this point, we can comfortably assume the EATS Act will not make it out of its congressional committee, thus not reaching the floor in time for this year's farm bill. And Proposition 12 will continue to make its impact on the pork market. Much could be said about Proposition 12, and perhaps we'll revisit that at another time. Frankly, what all this shows me is that our food security is entirely too intertwined in national and foreign economies and heavily influenced if not outright controlled, by governments. So then, what should we do as Christians? I believe the answer could be found in some form of localism. Lord willing, we'll be able to exposit this at a later date, and one day, instead of asking what something has to do with the price of tea in China, we'll be asking what it has to do with the price of bacon in California. Moving our attention to the Midwest, we receive a bad report from Memphis, Tennessee, that the Mississippi River continues to dry up, reaching its lowest levels ever as of October 10th, 2023. This primary American waterway sees over 500 million tons of goods annually and over half of all the U.S. grain crop. Barge spot rates have increased 85% over the previous three-year average, sending the cost to transport one ton of goods on the Mississippi to nearly $30 per ton, a record high as harvests begin. With the season far from over and much of the Midwest still in elevated levels of drought, 
There is no way to anticipate when the Mississippi will begin to return to normal levels, barring any heavy autumnal rains. But will we see those rains? Time will tell. As of now, we're entering into an El Nino Southern Oscillation, where much of the Midwest and Northern states will see dry, warm air this winter, so I would not count on the Mississippi returning to normal anytime soon. Pressures on the grain market continue to mount. Now, the Lord did bless farmers and consumers alike with a productive corn and soy season last year, but our long-term production levels are still trending downward. In the midst of droughts, poor weather, ongoing supply chain issues for fertilizer, and other geopolitical conflicts, I would continue to treat this period of perceived stability with a sense of reverence. At this time, it is a blessing or just a temporary season of plenty. We ought to prepare to feel a tightening from the cereal markets within the next two years. Finally, let's check in on the collective ethos of American agriculture. Surely no problems there. In a recent article featured on Ag Daily, we're told that, quote, Although they go largely unrecognized and face barriers, Midwestern LGBTQ farmers persist as they reframe the image of the family farm, unquote. The first page of the article features a picture of one of these reframed farming families. Shannon and Eve Mingalone, self-described lesbians, are a coupling of one purple-haired woman and one ugly man in lipstick. They not only raise organic peas, radishes, and a child, but they are creating, according to them, safe spaces for a people that don't fit the image of a typical farmer described in their words as white, male, heterosexual, conservative, and of course, Christian. This emotional hook lends itself well to the following argument. You see, the USDA does not count LGBTQ people in their five-year ag census. Many believe that they should. The Biden administration has made a habit in the last few years of directing incentives and subsidies to underrepresented families, and by counting LGBTQ people, they can better serve and support them in the agricultural space. The little demographic understanding we do have about LGBTQ representation comes from previous census data that recorded a small number of farms that were operated by men married to men and women married to women. This data exposed that Only 1% of farmers fall into this category, the majority of which are in small-scale organic agriculture rather than large-scale industrial agriculture, because of course they are. This small figure is a long way off from adequately representing the alleged 7.1% of LGBTQ Americans. So, you can count on this abominable data set being collected in the 2027 Ag Census and the expeditious release of the data just in time for the 2028 Farm Bill to include plenty of dollars set aside for this portion of the U.S. population. But let me end by encouraging you. Ecclesiastes 11.6 proclaims, Sow your seed in the morning, and do not be idle in the evening. For you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed, or whether both of them alike will be good. So, I say to you, my friends, stay busy and keep farming. Thank you for listening, and check in again next week for more news from the field.